We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Will Adrian Martinez blossom in K-State's offense after leaving Nebraska? We discuss next on 3 Ma. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in possible. Welcome into another 3 Mod Pod. I am John Kurtz, joined as always by Derek Young from K-State Online, Cole Manbeck, former K-State beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury. And it is almost football time, people. We are within two weeks of week zero football games happening. That means we're within three weeks of K-State football. And as such, we start to turn the page toward uh, a little season preview here. And you're going to get the offense preview from us today on 3 Mod. Look at Deuce Vaughn, Adrian Martinez. Probably the key to the entire season. What will Adrian Martinez do in a Wildcat uniform after transferring from Nebraska? We're going to break it all down. We've got some over-unders from Cole that we're going to debate as well here on the show today. But first, got to make sure to thank our sponsor, and we really appreciate Holiday Distillery, everything they do for us here. Check out 360 Vodka, no matter what it is that you may be celebrating or commiserating this football season, 360 Vodka can help you out there. Or... If you are more the bourbon type, then Holiday's Bottle and Bond Bourbon is another way to go about doing that as well. That can accomplish uh, either one of those tasks, and uh, that is certainly the uh, the poison of choice here on this pod would be the Ben Holiday Bottle and Bond Bourbon. But thank you to Holiday Distillery, uh, K-State folks with K-State ties, and they've been great in supporting us here on the pod. So, gentlemen, the offense. We're here actually talking some football, not recruiting, which has been exciting enough but we're here actually talking about the guys that are on campus playing for K-State. And I think there is a ton of optimism about the offense when you bring back an All-American in Deuce Vaughn and you bring back a pretty good offensive line that includes a potential All-American in Cooper Beebe as well. Uh, and then you throw in a guy who was coming out of high school, one of the top recruited quarterbacks in the country, a four-star player, has worlds of talent, wildly up and down career at Nebraska, but Adrian Martinez certainly is a name that's bringing a lot of attention and focus to this K-State offense, experienced group of receivers. I mean, I, I've laid out, I think, D.Y., a pretty compelling case there that this K-State offense can be, and small stress can, can be pretty good this year. Yeah, and the reason why the, the expectations for the season are 
pretty high, and there's been a lot of hype about the Wildcats, even in national circuits with the media outlets, um, kind of caught on to the roster that was returning. I think in June or July, you really started to hear a little bit of steam behind Kansas State in terms of predictive analysis by those you know that make those types of things. And it really comes down to Adrian Martinez because they needed a quarterback, and, and I don't think if they just – kept it status quo that the expectations would be as high as they are. Now, Adrian Martinez has some demons in his closet to a race that he became associated with at Nebraska in terms of his on-field performance. Um, not necessarily the production. He's very productive, very explosive, and can make plays in the open field with both his arm and, and his legs. It's more about what happened in crunch time or, or you know, just never getting over the hump, whether it be mental mistakes or, or turning the ball over. So he, he has some of those issues to kind of prove the doubters wrong that still think that that will carry over with him from Nebraska to Kansas State. Not saying I think that, but the, the, you know, the skeptics can uh, point to that as a reason to maybe pump the brakes on Kansas State. But if you don't, um, Adrian Martinez is the reason why, you know, the ceiling of potential is so high this year because I don't think we would be talking about Kansas State the same way if they didn't add Adrian Martinez. Yeah, a lot obviously hinges on Adrian. I mean, he's got 38 career starts under his belt, which is the fourth most among returning starting quarterbacks in FBS football out of the 130 expected starting quarterbacks this year. So very experienced, four-year starter, three-time captain in Nebraska, very talented kid. And as D.Y. alluded to, and we'll talk more in depth on this podcast, It's and we'll talk all season about it, it's going to come down to turnovers and taking care of the football for him that's been his big bugaboo when it comes to issues. Uh, obviously he's very talented, but I think the surrounding cast, uh, we've talked about it before and he's got a better surrounding cast at Kansas state. Adrian has talked about that as well. He's never had a guy like Deuce Vaughn in his career. Not a lot of quarterbacks have had a guy like Deuce. And you look at Adrian the last couple of years at Nebraska, he led the team in rushing. He hadn't had a running back that had over 500 yards or eclipsed the 500 yard mark each of the last two seasons in the Nebraska offense. He's had to lead the team, not only running the football, but make plays all over the field. And there's been a lot of pressure on him. You know, 17 of the 25 losses that Adrian played in at Nebraska were decided by one score or less. That's 68% of his losses, one score. You think about the pressure that comes into that. I just feel like a fresh start at Kansas State, the mental fresh start, it's going to be so refreshing for him, and I feel like he'll turn over a new leaf at Kansas State. And, look, he's got a lot of experience with him. Adrian Martinez going into his fifth year, Deuce Vaughn, year three, three-year starter, offensive line. You've got Taylor Portier going into his fourth year, Hayden Gillum, fifth year, Christian Duffy, fifth year in the program, KT Leviston, fifth year in the program, Cooper Beebe, All-American, going into his fourth season at K-State. And then, John, you mentioned receiver. Experience receiver group, Cade Warner, sixth year playing college football this year. Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks, they're entering their fifth season. Sammy Wheeler's entering his fifth season at the tight end position. Jack Stanine, fourth year at fullback. So a ton of experience when you look at the offensive side of the football. And let's not forget the fact, now they moved on from Courtney Messingham, but this was an offense that had its best statistical season last year in seven years. 2014 was the last time K-State averaged more points per drive than last season. K-State averaged 2.7 points per drive last year. 2014 was the next closest when they averaged 2.95, which ranks 16th in the country. Jake Waters, Tyler Lockett, and that team. Now, they clearly need to make a change, Courtney Messingham, but 
you're talking about a team with a lot of returning talent, a very talented quarterback, a former top 100 recruit in the country, has a lot of experience at position, and a new offensive coordinator that's going to turn the pressure up here in case it's going to run a new look offense that obviously looked very good in the bowl game. And I think that's what a lot of us will be very eager to see what this new look offense under Colin Klein looks like. And I thought it was interesting when we spoke to Colin Klein uh, a few days ago. I don't know exactly what day, but a few days ago. And he even alluded to, because he was asked about Adrian's, you know, on the field woes at times when it comes to turning the ball over. And he said the most important thing that he stressed with Adrian is to not play scared. Don't play not to turn it over, because when you do that, that's probably when it happens. Well, I find it interesting that Athlon Sports, which, you know, you can say what you want about Athlon being kind of a dinosaur. They are a little bit. The the preview magazine doesn't mean quite what it used to be, especially in a world when Phil Steele absolutely rules that space. But I think they have the most compelling uh, preseason content of any of the magazines with just their sections of (laughs) anonymous thoughts from coordinators across the league or other coaches across the league. So for each school, you just get anonymous quotes uh, about each school. And there were multiple quotes about – coaches being surprised that K-State made the change at offensive coordinator from Courtney Messingham to Colin Klein. And basically saying, Cole, kind of what you were uh, mentioning a second ago, like, hey, that offense actually was was not bad last year. And look, I mean, as somebody who was much more of a Messingham defender than most, I mean, I would point that out. I mean, shout out to our guy, KSU underscore fan. He would have those advanced stats every week. And it was it was far from a dreadful offense. And it was much more cut from the same cloth of what you would expect from a K-State or Chris Kleiman's sort of offense in terms of the pace and style and all of that. Now, having said that, I understand why they make the change. I think it's already shown major dividends in recruiting, Avery Johnson being at the top of that list. I don't think K-State is landing Avery Johnson without making the change philosophically and just in personnel to Colin Klein and getting younger. All that. Totally get it. I'm with it. I'm fine with it. I liked what I saw, uh, meaningless as it might have been against LSU in the bowl game. So I'm on board with it, but that is still another part of this that's a, a big question mark is, is Colin Klein ready for this? I mean, this is a guy that's been around for a while. I think everybody thinks very highly of him. Everybody foresees a very bright future for him. But with all this and Adrian Martinez taking a lot of the spotlight, Deuce taking a lot of the spotlight, I think a major storyline that probably doesn't get talked about enough, maybe gets forgotten a little bit, is that, hey, this is Colin taking over the K-State offense full throat, full bore, uh, for the first time in his career, and, and is this guy ready for that sort of step? Yeah, we just don't know, right? I mean, we could sit here and talk about it, but there's really nothing to point to that says he is ready. You're you're not. No one knows when you're ready until you go out there and prove it. So that that's what it's going to come down to with Klein. He was kind of asked about that, and he's and he said, you know, and I get up on the white board, and sometimes I just get into that, you know, creative zone, and I'm just like mapping out all these plays and. I'll create a lot of creativity and all these designs. And sometimes the other offensive coaches in the room, it's like, whoa, because it just becomes like, that's all we're doing. But uh, yeah, I'll be curious about that. I don't think, I don't foresee any issues. There'll probably be some growing pains here and there. I'm not sure that there's a, an elite offensive coordinator that doesn't go through a time where, you know, they wish they had a play back that they didn't call right or, or that they didn't go through a phase in the early goings of their career or they probably weren't as sharp as they'd like to be. I think we'll probably have that with Clyde. Um, you just hope it doesn't happen in critical moments and critical games of this critical season. Well, I guess I would just ask you this question. I'll, I'll frame it to both of you guys. Is there any concern? Because I'll admit, as as much as, again, I am on board with it, there is a little pause for me in being like, hey, I mean, K-State has had a lot of success being the 
I would say the change up to the fastball in the league, which is a different style of offense to prepare for than what everybody else is running. And look, my eyes lit up when we thought Seth Luttrell might be the coach here for a second where it's like, okay, we're going to go up tempo. We're going to run a spread offense. We're going to get more exciting and all that. Now, I mean, what we saw in the bowl game against LSU looked much more modern, and I'm I'm all for becoming more modern, but is there a risk in that, in that big part of the success that Bill Snyder had in Snyder 2.0, and and perhaps some of the success that, that Chris Kleiman had here was based on the fact that they were still running a different kind of offense, a little more slow, plotting, methodical, can save the defense, all those storylines that everybody's sick of hearing going back to uh, 2011 and 2012. Is there any kind of danger in that in, in your, your guys' eyes? I don't think so, but I think we're going to see a little bit of a blend. I don't think that they're going to go all in. I think you're going to see varying tempos, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not that concerned about it, John. And the reason being is I don't think they're going to come out guns ablazing and just run 80 plus snaps a game. I think they're going to dictate it off how they feel the game is going. They're going to let the the game dictate that the flow of it, where they're at on the scoreboard, and also the thing you know we got to think about this. K-State offense last year was dead last in the country in offensive plays per game, 130th out of 130 FBS teams. I believe they averaged, just double check here, 58 plays per game last year. We asked Chris Kleiman at Big 12 Media Days if there was a number he would like to get to. He said low 70s. Well, that's not that out of the norm for K-State. I actually went through the numbers of plays per game by K-State's offense over the last decade. 2016, when K-State won nine games, K-State ran 73 plays per game. It's under Bill Snyder. You know, but the Chris Kleiman era obviously was different. You know, we talked about 58 plays per game this last year, which was dead last. The year before, 61. That's 125th out of 127 teams that played football that year. And 65 plays per game, which was 124th in 2019. So I think they're going to go more up-tempo. They're going to increase their snap count by about 15 to 20%. But it's not going to be just an obscene amount. And I it, it'll just be interesting to see how they get to the line, how quickly they get to the line. I think that's going to be part of it. They're going to get a play in quickly. How many times have we heard K-State fans count down the play clock where they're breaking the huddle and there's 10 seconds left on the play clock? I don't think that's going to happen nearly as much. I think they're going to hurry up, get the play in. They're going to look at the defense, and they might quick snap it or they might check out of a play, but they're going to have plenty of time to examine what the defense is showing on the field. So I'm not that concerned about it. And with Colin Klein – one thing that helps alleviate my concerns a little bit is just the simple fact that he did have a few weeks after the season ended, the regular season, to implement his offense before the bowl game. Then he had spring ball. you know. So the hire was made quickly to where he had a chance to work with these guys, and a lot of these guys are back. I mean, the biggest change is the quarterback, but Adrian is an extremely intelligent, smart kid who's been in numerous offenses in Nebraska. He's very bright, and he's going to pick this up. And we asked Deuce Vaughn at Media Days, do you expect any bumps in the road early on with this new offense? Without hesitation, he said, no, not at all. They've already gotten the bumps out in spring ball. So they seem confident. And I think it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch, a little bit different to uh, see a more modern look. Cole I, Cole, I heard you turn in those pages. You got your own playbook over there? Well, I got this uh, sheet here that's actually <laughs> broken out, guys. If you look at this, I have went back over the last decade and looked at plays per game of every Big 12 team um, over the last 10 years. I'll tell you one thing real quick that's really interesting is the Big 12 actually has slowed down over the last few years in terms of plays per game. This last year, the average was 68 plays per game of Big 12 teams. And then it was 73 the year before, 
72 in 2019. But if you go back to 2015, it was 79 as the average. Um, and then 77 in 2014 and 2013. The only reason I bring that up, guys, is because I think part of the reason you saw K-State run 58 plays per game last year is because the opponents dictated that. Big 12 teams were running slower offenses over the last couple of years. And now I think the other teams are going to start to snap the ball quicker. You look at the landscape of the coaches, Sonny Dykes now at TCU, right? Uh, you got the Western Kentucky offensive coordinator that went to Texas Tech. And they ran, I think, top five in the country in plays per game. And then, uh, you know, if you look at some of the other changes, obviously Jeff Levy at Oklahoma. Well, Ole Miss was one of the tops in the country and hurry up as well. And I was actually surprised when I looked through this data how low OU was in terms of plays per game over the last several years. They, they really didn't run that much up-tempo. So I only bring that up because Mike Gundy mentioned at Media Days that he expects it to get to a much more hurried up look again in the Big 12 this year with some of the changes. So that's an important thing to factor in when you look at K-State's plays per game is just other teams are going to be running more plays this year. I agree. And you went back to that era where it was really, really fast. That's when Oklahoma State ran a lot. They ran their offense at a much more rapid pace. But I think, you know, you had, you know, really fast operating offense at Texas Tech. I think Art Bryles might have still been at Baylor at the time. So that's when everything was the machine was working a lot more quicker. As you said, the evolution of the Big 12 is we're kind of getting back to that once again. Well, D.Y., actually, it's just real quick. It's 2016, three Big 12 teams ranked in the top five in the country in plays per game. 2015, you had six teams in the top 15 in the country in plays per game. And now yeah, now you look to use heyday. I mean, that was before the TCU yeah. offense tanked. I mean, so yep. you, had, you had Trevon Boykin and company then, too. So, yes, I, I agree. And, I mean, look, what's rolling through my head there is just lazy narratives about the Big 12 that get frustrating where people think it is still 2013, 2014. I think it was, what, 2013 when we had that like 70 to 63 game between Baylor and West Virginia. I mean, it's been damn near a decade since since then. There's better defense being played. As you mentioned, the tempo has slowed, even if it's going to crank back up this year. But, I mean, look, Adrian Martinez is going to be a huge factor in all of that. I, I have been making the case consistently. I think it's a pretty easy one to make, much as we you know, jumped in on the Adrian Martinez. Uh, maybe hate is too strong, but just poking fun at Nebraska and Adrian Martinez over the last four years. Like, I get it. You can make the change, though. Just join me. It's easy. Burn the past. Delete tweets. I don't know. I don't even worry about deleting them. Whatever. They're still there. It's an easy case to make. Nebraska sucks. Scott Frost sucks. He's out of that vortex. It's pretty easy. I mean, it could be that simple, but... I mean, Nebraska's offensive line was atrocious. They were awful. And I think when you find out after the season that a kid was playing with a broken jaw and a torn labrum in his shoulder, like, I mean, what do you expect to happen? It was amazing. Adrian Martinez talking about the story of having to hide from the media what was going on, like not being able to come in because of the the, the issue with his jaw, like trying to keep that hidden from everybody. So one, there's a tough dude that's making no excuses about anything. And and two, it just shows the the pressure and pain that he was playing under last year. So you get him in front of a much better offensive line, all those guys with three-plus years' experience, a, a, an All-American on the line in front of him. You give him an All-American in the backfield because that's – I mean, Adrian was having to run a lot at Nebraska. He says he wants to do less of that at K-State. Uh, one area where you could point out and say, hey, I mean, I haven't gone position by position here to compare with Nebraska, but if you want to raise question marks about the receivers, I'm open to that. But I think almost everything else, coach in Kleiman, who's put his last three starting quarterbacks into the NFL, offensive line, running back, 
less pressure being at K-State in general, change of scenery. I don't, to me, it's a pretty easy and compelling case to say he's going to be much better. Frankly, I've, I've gotten to the point now in the offseason where I just, I get really annoyed and I just brush off anybody saying like, ah, oh, no, I mean, it, look, it's Adrian Martinez. I don't think he's going to be that good. To me, I think that's kind of a lazy, like, if you're not close to it, not paying a lot of attention to what's actually going on here, that's that's a lazy take right now that Adrian Martinez won't be vastly improved. It, to me, it's simple. If he takes care of the football at a respectable level, he's a top three quarterback in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, look, the narrative is all about the turnovers. And look, that's been his biggest issue at Nebraska. He turned the ball over 49 times in his career, including 19 fumbles, uh, which I will say fumbles lost is partially luck. I mean, right, you know, the opponent has to jump on the football. The ball bounces the right way. But he's put the ball on the ground too many times. I did talk about, though, I think a lot of it is at Nebraska. He was involved in so many close games that he felt like he always had to make a play there at the end. And there was so much pressure. And there were so many fluke incidents. I mean, look, guys, I watched that whole Michigan game last year. And he was down. Forward progress was stopped. Everybody thought the whistle had blown and the ball pops out and they gave the ball to Michigan and it wasn't a reviewable play. And that's the type of stuff that happened. I feel like that can just get in your head at a place like Nebraska. And, you know, look, if you look at his freshman resume, this was a guy that was a top 100 recruit in the country. Expectations were sky high. And the numbers that he put up as a freshman were dynamic. He set school records in total offense. He was only the he was the first quarterback in Nebraska school history as a true freshman to start a season open. You think about all the guys they've had a quarterback, first guy to do that, second quarterback, including redshirt freshman to start a season opener. And he set the record for total offense in Nebraska school history at 295 yards per game, just as a freshman. That's looking at all quarterbacks, not just as a freshman season. That was the 12th best mark nationally among freshmen in the history of the NCAA, I believe. So he put up such dynamic numbers. He led the team in rushing with 629 yards. Actually, I think Devin Azubo had 1,000 yards that year. But, look, the, the point is that I think expectations grew extraordinarily high for him early on, and he just wasn't able to match that as time went on. And I think the fresh start, the better surrounding cast. John, you mentioned his offensive line. Look, I could read off so many things from pro football focus on their offensive line. I'll leave you with this. They ranked 282nd out of 295 teams in all of college football, that's including the FCS and pass blocking efficiency last year. We talked about Turner Corcoran had a passing grade of zero, according to Pro Football Focus, which I don't think any of us knew was possible. He was always under pressure. And when you watch the highlights, I saw a video that went out on Twitter a week or two ago with his highlights included. He was always scrambling for his life, trying to make a play. And that's going to be a huge difference. You got Cooper Beebe, who's an All-American on the offensive line, and Taylor Portier, who's a stud that the coaching staff loves. You got Deuce Vaughn, who's a security blanket that you can dump it out in the flats to, and you got an experienced wide receiver group. And the only other thing I'll leave you guys with on Adrian is you also have to look at who he played. And if you look at the Big Ten last year, he played four defenses that were ranked in the top 12 in the country in points per drive, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, Iowa, and then I'm blanking out that Michigan. Um, Illinois was ranked 27th in points per drive, Ohio state, 38, Purdue, 44. You look at the big 12, it was not anywhere near that. If you look at the national rankings of the big 10 teams, Nebraska played with Adrian last year, the national ranking in points per drive, the defenses were number 34 in country on average and the big 12, the nine teams he'll play this year, their national average ranking and points per drive allowed was 72nd in the country. 
So you look at those turnovers, but he was going against defenses that had seen him so much um, over four years and also defenses that are known for turning the ball over and are dynamic on that side of the football. John was just trying to talk up Big 12 defenses and Cole I was about to say, you're, you're, listen, Oklahoma State was like fifth in the country in total defense last year, all right? They, How about they, that? They're using total defense, too. What a, what a stat in 2020. Oh, yeah. Well, o- OSU defense, was three. Baby. Yeah, OSU was three. Baylor was 17, and Iowa State was 22 in points per drive. But then if you look at the bottom six teams, it was number 66 or lower um, with three teams in the hundreds. Well, that's why Oklahoma and Texas are kicked out of the Big 12, right? Oklahoma was Oklahoma was 83rd. Texas was 95th. Oof. Get out of here. Ooh. Okay. All right. Well, that's – listen, Brent Venables has been personally giving attention to linebackers in practice, and I'm told by the Oklahoma media that that means it's all fixed uh, immediately. So Oklahoma will be much better defensively this year. You heard it here first. Um, I'm glad you guys mentioned Taylor Potier coming back on the offensive line because I think that's a, it's a massive boost. I mean, there was a ton of buzz about him last year, and so getting him back – in there, I think will be uh, uh, something that really helps offset some of the losses on the offensive line as well. I don't have many concerns there at all. When we're talking about the running game overall in general, set aside, I guess, the Deuce Vaughn storyline for right now, because as silly as this is, I think the bigger question on everybody's mind is, all right, who's who's RB2? You know, I mean, there are some names here, but who? what do they actually have without Joe Irvin, without Jacardia Wright? What do they actually have at running back to spell Deuce a little bit? Or if you're going to use Deuce out in the slot, you know, I mean, who can be there for a running back actually in the backfield? So I'm going to open it up with that as the question here, D.Y. How confident should K-State fans be in the battle that's going on right now for running back two? And like, I don't know. I mean, I, you can tell by the tone of my voice where I'm at with it. I'm it's a, it's a little it's a little troubling. If you think about anything happening to Deuce, God forbid, which he's been extremely durable. And I think that that helps, but some freak accident, something can happen. We've seen it happen with Skylar Thompson multiple times. How tough of a situation would K-State be in with what's left there running back behind it? I sense that they feel pretty good about Anthony Frias and DJ Giddens. I really do. I sense that there's a comfort level there. The problem, I don't really think that there's a problem in the backfield for this year per se. I, I think that the issue probably lies in the future when Deuce is gone just because, well, they only have three running backs on scholarship now that Devin Weathers has left the program. So um, this year, probably not a problem. You get one injury, then it gets a little um, little hairy, I would say, but even they'll, they'll talk up their walk-ons as well. But I think they view Anthony Freeze as the perfect complement to Deuce Vaughn because he can kind of shoulder some of the responsibilities that he's well-versed in are kind of the ones that they'd like Deuce not to take on himself, I think right? The pass blocking, the short yardage run between the tackles type stuff. I think, I think, I think they offered and added Anthony free is because his game kind of is conducive to those roles. So I think he's the, they view him as a very good complement to what Deuce Bond provides so that they can maybe, you know, shed Deuce of some of those responsibilities and roles that he was also taking on the past couple of years, because you have to think, even though he had Joe Irvin and he had Jacardia Wright, when you have those two, those are guys that were pretty inexperienced and, and they were just guys to just give the ball to as well. I mean, Deuce had to do the blocking, you know, the, the in-between the tackles running, so to speak, and, and all of that. So with Frias, they, they can take some of that responsibility off his shoulders. That's what they feel like. And with DJ Giddens, 
I'd hate to even make the, the comparison because it's lofty standards. But we're probably talking someone in the talent range, and, and he's got to realize it, and it has to come to fruition, and that means – you know, a lot of the mental stuff and, and, and all that stuff, but he probably is in the talent range of Mike McCoy. Like they think he's that special really? of a skill set, that special of a talent. Got to get the light bulb to come on. Got to crack the code to unlock some of that. And I don't think that's totally happened yet. But when we're talking about upside and potential, I think he's in that aura. And look, we asked Deuce about the backup running backs at Big 12 Media Days, and and he lit up when he talked about DJ Giddens and the talent level. If he can realize his potential, you know, it's ultimately going to come down to the playbook and picking up the comfort level in the offense for him. Um, but obviously, a big, powerful running back out of Junction City that the coaching staff really likes. The talent is certainly there, very strong and physical. Deuce talked about, I think, him squatting over 400 pounds. Um, so, it's all there. It's just, he's got to pick up the playbook. He's a redshirt freshman. You like the freest pickup. I think one of the interesting things here, guys, that will come about is we talk about the offense hurrying up and going from 58 plays per game into the low seventies. Well, that means you're probably going to have to rely on your backup running back a little bit more than you did in the past, because you're going to be running an increase of 13, 14 more plays per game. And you don't want deuce out there for all of those. So there's going to be more snaps where there's either empty backfield or you're going to have a DJ Giddens or Frias out there on the field. So that'll be interesting. And look, you hate though to take Deuce off the field in passing situations because he's such a dynamic pass catching threat. And so it'll be interesting how they, they do it, but they're going to need a guy to step up and take a little bit of the burden off of Deuce. I mean, last year, the leading second leading rusher on the team was Joe Urban with 322 rushing yards. If they can get 300 yards plus from a, one of the backup running backs this year, I think you feel decent about that. Um, and I think the other thing, guys, just on the running game in general, it'll be really interesting what they do with Adrian Martinez in the rushing game. This is a guy that's averaged over 500 yards a season running the football. All four years at Nebraska, he was 500 yards or over in rushing. But you know that Colin Klein knows that the grind that that running attack has on a quarterback. Colin Klein felt it firsthand, and it sounds like he doesn't want to run the quarterback as much. Adrian doesn't want to run as much. That's partially why you picked this offense. And for health, you got to keep Adrian Martinez healthy. Yeah. So you don't want him taking a lot of hits. So it'll be interesting the number of QB designed runs that they have baked in for Adrian. If you look at Nebraska, a lot of his big runs were in scramble situations when he busted big runs. I, I could see that still being certainly a a big part of his game, but I would not want to see a ton of QB designed runs for him where he's taken a lot of hits just because of the backup quarterback situation. There was not that many for Skylar Thompson. So uh, I don't think that's something they love to do. I think it's like a little bit of a weapon they'd like to have in their back pocket for meaningful situations, but they haven't really leaned on it in a, in a very intensive manner and really in any given year since taking over at Kansas state. And I know that was a different offense coordinator, but it's, same head coach and, you know, a lot of the same offensive staff. And with DJ Giddens, I know some people were like, well, simplify it and just give him the ball. And that's fair. And, that, and you can say that. It's a lot easier to say that than do it, because if that's the way you want to rock with him, guess what? The other team knows exactly what you're going to do when he comes into the game. then, Because that, that was part of the problem with Jacardi right as well. So I think with him, it's about him becoming – getting a lot more vast knowledge, a wider array of knowledge, so that when they bring in DJ Giddens, they're not tendency prone to know exactly what the, the 
to have the other team know exactly what they're going to do. They want to be able to run the entire playbook with all three backs. So the other team is not, you know, chopping at the bit, knowing exactly what you're going to do because you made yourself so predictable. Yeah, I mean, look, I, we, we heard the Jacardier-Wright hive screaming and screaming and screaming for weeks and then leading up to the Oklahoma game, really intensified. What do they do? Hey, first drive of the game, bam, let's give it to Jacardier-Wright, and he coughs it up. I mean, a huge mistake, and it loomed very large in what turned out to be a relatively close loss to Oklahoma. Could have changed the entire complexion of the game. So I, you don't have to make that point to me. I understand that you'll have to make it to some folks. And and I get there's some level of frustration that Joe Irvin and Jacardier-Wright both left, but I mean, you – you were going to, in, in the 2022 environment in college football, when you have Deuce Vaughn, you were just going to run into that problem. I think that was an inevitable problem for anybody to have. And you'd rather be dealing with this than, you know, the Jordan Addison problem at, at Pitt where he leaves and goes to USC. And then, hey, there's plenty of playing time for the rest of the, the receivers there. There would have been plenty of playing time for the other running backs. But obviously, yeah. Deuce sticks around, and uh, you'd much rather deal with that. And Receiver here. Can I say, with the one thing with the transfer portal that you think that let's also be fair, it was uh transfer portal era relatively new. I think there was a little bit of a miscalculation there by, by those guys too. I think if they, you know, hindsight's 2020, but I think they, they felt like they were both going to have greener pastures than what they ended up, um, you know, landing at. Probably so. But if it is about playing time, I mean, that, that was not going to be there. It was definitely going to be a more limited role here and you'd have to be waiting you know, three, four years, um, depending on which one you're talking about there, in which case to actually take over and be the guy or have a shot at it at K-State. You know, I mean, receiver, I'll admit, it's another area that I'm leery of on the offense. I, I think at this point, I, I love Malik Knowles. I love the talent. I love what he brings on special teams. I think he's a deserving All-American candidate um, and, and All-American by some in the return game. Totally get it. First team All-Big 12 returner understand it as a receiver i'm not sure that i expect at this point after i mean he's been in the program since what 2018 17 even was he there in 17 wow. I mean, it's been a, a long road for malik Knowles. I, I just i'm gonna take him for what he was last year and say that that's what i would expect out of malik Knowles. so what can you get from the rest philip brooks is solid Cade warner is solid and definitely has done more at k-state already than i imagine that he would do uh throughout his entire career I think RJ, you need an RJ Garcia, somebody like that to really pop here if this offense is going to be what we think it is. Because I, the receiver is the position that I feel like year after year, we try to talk ourselves into it being better than it actually is. We try to talk ourselves into the weapons there being better than they actually are. And Malik has been a big part of that because he has so much. I mean, the talent there is tantalizing that he has. But every single year, it, it just seems to fall a little bit flat to me. So I don't... Maybe one of you guys, maybe DY, you have a case. Maybe Cole, you have a case here to make for me that this is going to be the year that it, there's really a breakthrough. RJ Garcia has generated a lot of buzz throughout fall camp. Uh, I'm just in believe it when I see it mode, I suppose, for the receivers being much different than what they've been the last couple of years. Not really going to make a case. I will say Malik Knowles, all-conference skill set, all-conference potential. But, you know, he's been there for four or five years, maybe four, I think. And we haven't seen all-conference production because he lacks the consistency. Um, so it's capable, but after four years, it's hard to bank on him turning a new leaf and becoming consistent. But maybe the light bulb comes on because he has his fourth different wide receiver coach in Thad Ward, and maybe he can unlock something that the prior three receiver coaches didn't, which was Andre Coleman, 
Courtney Messingham, Jason Ray, <laughs> which is interesting. Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks have both had four different wide receiver coaches. Um, which, also which doesn't probably, help, by the way, in their defense. No, that, that doesn't help. No, that's probably not made it easy for them either. Is what? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I do think Phillip Brooks is underrated, and I think he's really solid. And I think Kate Warner is pretty solid, and I think he's brings a lot of the intangibles that probably makes the offense better that the average person can't see. But in general, it's a room that lacks explosiveness or has lacked explosiveness, and that's what they need. They need a game-breaker, whoever that could be. I don't think you're going to get it from Brooks or Warner, um, not because they're not good or solid. I think that they are, but they don't They don't really have an explosive physical trait, um, in my opinion. Malik Knowles has, but it's hard to bank on his consistency until he proves that. But he does have that all-conference ability, like I mentioned. So – you hope that some of these newcomers that are, you know, ready for the spotlight can bring that trait, bring that attribute that's been missing from the group. And, you know, the, the two that would immediately come to mind that I would point to that they need to have that spark from would be RJ Garcia, just because it seems like he's ready to really pounce on his opportunity and is mentally prepared enough to where he's going to see the field in a significant manner, a lot of meaningful snaps probably from him or even Jaden Jackson, a transfer from Ole Miss. Um, also is known for being you know, pretty fast himself. So I'll be interested to see if he can supply that, that trade as well. Um, he hasn't been talked about a lot, but in the last week it has picked up a little bit, and it seems as though he's going to play you know, significant snaps for Kansas State. So, And then Keenan Garber still there, a really fast player as well. But wh- whoever it is from – they need some explosion and a guy that that can really, you know, threaten or worry defensive coordinators at that position. Yeah, the, the biggest thing for Knowles last year was he played every game. So availability was the number one concern with Malik Knowles throughout his career. And he pushed through and played every game, stayed healthy last year. It was a big deal. And he had his career high in receptions and receiving yards, but it was still a little bit underwhelming. It was under 500 yards receiving to me, you'd like to see that number jump to, to close to 700 yards if he's going to reach his potential and this offense is going to reach his potential. Phillip Brooks had 543 yards receiving last year. Adrian Martinez, when we had him on the pod back in May, Phillip was the, the first name that popped out of his mouth in terms of you know a weapon at the receiver position. They consider him to be very reliable. You know, Adrian Martinez has a relationship with Cade Warner and a connection with him just from his days at Nebraska as well. Uh, and Cade Warner, I thought, really stepped up down the stretch last season and played well at the receiver position. But to what D.Y. said, you need another guy to step forward. What you talked about, John, to me, it's all about R.J. Garcia. I mean, you hate to put pressure on a redshirt freshman like this, but that, that that's a name that has popped from several different places as someone that has stood out and they expect big things from this year and moving forward. Good route runner, good hands. You need him to step forward and be that extra weapon at the receiver position. It'll be interesting what Jaden Jackson does. And then I, I'm interested in Keenan Garber, D.Y., just because yeah, he hasn't done anything yet. It was highly thought of when he came in from Free State High School in Lawrence to K-State and Chris Kleiman's first recruiting class. Uh, fast player and has not produced to date. But he's entering year four in the program. If it's going to click, it has to be this year for him. He's a weapon that you know they need in terms of speed. So could he have a 250-yard type season at the receiver position? That would be helpful. I'll be interested to watch him this year. And then I I think the other thing, John, just lumping everything into the receiver room is the tight end position. 
Uh, that's going to be a big concern this year. It's the first year that Chris Kleiman hasn't taken a transfer tight end into his room. He had Briley Moore in the first year, a very talented tight end, and then Daniel or Matter Bebe last year, who I loved. I uh, just wish they could have got the ball to him more. Um, this year, it's really all, all on Sammy Wheeler, who just has not been reliable in terms of health. And so can he stay healthy all season? I think he's a good weapon at the you know as a receiving tight end, but he's got to stay healthy. And then Ben Sennett is a guy that they love that will line up some at the tight end position going into his sophomore year here, kind of a hybrid fullback tight end. Um, but they got to get production from those guys. Adrian Martinez really relied on the tight end at Nebraska. And so I'm sure he'll want to utilize and Colin Klein will want to utilize those guys here at K-State. And we'll probably see Will Swanson a little bit at tight end. I will say a guy that I'm rooting for, though, be kind of the same reason why I still root for Will Howard a little bit is Keenan Garber. I mean, it would be so easy for those guys to do what everyone else in college football does and just, you know, give up, pack their bags yeah. and leave and enter the transfer portal. And they're just kind of sticking with the program and, and trying to persevere and and realize their potential, even if it doesn't happen late. And you just don't see that anymore in college football because the easy way out's right there in your back pocket. So I, I almost want their patience and perseverance and, you know, you know, insistence on staying with Kansas State and being a Kansas State fan and sticking in there with Kansas State. I almost want that to be rewarded at some point to some extent. Well, I hear you. I think I'm just at a place where it's great. I agree. Rooting for him. Awesome to stay in the program, all that in case they needs kids like that. Would love it if he popped. I'm just the receiver room based on track record here. And this goes back to Snyder 2.0. It's not all on climate, but I just I don't trust as much even some of the buzz coming from potential candidates at receiver because I've just been let down before. Now, the opposite is true when you talk about like running backs. I think they've recruited very well. I think guys that we've heard buzz about early on, like a Deuce Vaughn, it's generally been very, very fruitful. Same with the offensive line. Like when I hear them talking up an offensive lineman, that's generally been something you can trust and that is very, very good. Where I'm more leery is at receiver. So I, I think it, I'm going to need to see it. I'm going to need to see it out on the field. There are names, but I'm going to need to see it actually uh, produce at a higher level than a higher clip than what they have been at here before. We need to take a break. We've got some over-unders to get to um, that Cole has for us. He has put them together. So we'll we'll end in kind of rapid-fire fashion here on the pod to close up shop with the offense when we... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Come back. 
All right, we are back on the Three Mod Pod. John Kurtz, Derek Young, Cole Manbeck, all here with you, breaking down the K State offense as we get into uh, season preview mode, as football season is just around the corner. And uh, we have to thank our friends at Charlie Hustle who have outfitted us. I'm going to have to stand up here on the on the old YouTube, show off this shirt. Uh, sorry for the podcast listeners, audio quality dropping just a little bit there, but we got the retro logo here on uh, on this K State gear. You can go find it at charliehustle.com as well as uh, a number of other K-State items there. And it sounds like some new stuff coming out here pretty soon. I know Cole is very proudly uh, wearing his Charlie Hustle lavender jacket. That, like, uh, I don't know, what, what kind of style would you say that jacket is? That thing went hot off the presses when uh, when they released it. Yeah, it sold out very quickly. I rushed down to the Charlie Hustle store to uh, buy it when it became available this spring. Uh, and I'm just very eager for some fall weather to be able to wear it. I was so I'm so eager to wear it, John, that I'm wearing it right now when it's 80 degrees outside uh, in my house, and I'm sweating while wearing it. But it's it's very comfortable. It's my favorite K State thing I've ever owned, to be truthful. Uh, love this jacket. Love the lavender and the throwback. I'm a sucker for retro stuff. And then I got my Charlie Hustle shirt on uh, underneath it, so I'm all sported out in Charlie Hustle right now. Doubling up. Those jackets are sexy, man. They are definitely sexy. I have no idea if they're still available or not, but uh, if you can uh, find one, if you find Cole, you know, maybe just barter with him, see if you can buy it off of him, something like that. Um, we appreciate Charlie Hustle for supporting us here on the pod along with Holiday Distillery. Okay, to close up shop here on the offense, uh, Cole has set some over-unders for us. And I think, look, we talked a lot about Malik Knowles and the receivers. I, I think this to me is one of the biggest that we have here. Uh, Cole is saying over under 600 yards in 2022, 600 yards receiving from Malik Knowles, whose career high was 29 catches for 441 last year. I'll start on this one. I am going to be a pessimist and say slightly under. I think it will be somewhere in like the 500 yard range. Would love to be proven wildly wrong because I've been a huge Malik supporter throughout his entire career. I've just been waiting for it, but you know, the combination of some availability concerns from earlier in his career with just overall production concerns, to be fair, with an offense that was only averaging 58 plays per game last year. I get it. I think it'll increase, but I'm going to stop short of 600 just barely and say that it'll be in the 500s. What do you think, D.Y.? I think he'll get his career high, but under 600. I think that he'll have more chances, but it'll probably collide a little bit with R.J. Garcia maybe ascending into the uh, uh, very productive role as well. So a little shy of 600. Huh, you pessimist. I'm going over 600 yards. There's going to be an increase in snap count for him with the increase in plays, the hurried up offense. And I felt like Colin Klein purposely targeted Malik Knowles some in the bowl game against LSU, and they made it a, a point to get him the football. I think they're going to emphasize that this year, and I think Adrian – uh, delivers. I think we see Malik have some big plays this year in the passing game that increase those numbers. I'm going to take the over. You know, fair point that Colin did make it a, a real concerted effort to get him the ball and get him going early and often, which I think we've seen at times in Malik's career like that. That has been a tough thing. If he doesn't get going early, then it can be tough for him to be as active and involved throughout the game. So I hope you get to dunk all over us Vince Carter style at the uh, at the Olympics on that one. I'm interested in this too. So RJ Garcia, you set his over under at 250 yards in 2022. RJ Garcia, 250 yards. You know what? I'll be an optimist here because as much as I love Malik, the ultimate optimist view here would be, well, hey, get RJ Garcia going early and now you've got receivers set up, you know, longer term because he'll be around after this year. So I, 
I'll take RJ Garcia for 300 plus yards receiving this year. It has been two straight years now that we've heard good things uh, about him and he's kind of had to bite his time and work his way up. But Florida kid, you know, I like the athletic potential and profile he has. I'll, I'll, I'll be high on RJ Garcia. Yeah, I think I will too. It's like 20 yards plus a game and someone that's going to ascend into a more meaningful role and, and you're going to see them throw the ball probably a little bit more, see them run a lot more offensive snaps per game. I think the chances are going to be there. I would almost be a little surprised if this fell under. Yeah, I'm taking the over. Yeah, I feel confident that he's going to he's gonna pop this year and uh, be over 300, John, uh, which is not insignificant. I mean, that would have been the no. third leading receiver last year, I believe, if you take Deuce out of the equation. No, that's the thing. You have to kind of recalibrate this for what a K-State offense has been that number in college football, I mean, at Texas Tech, like uh, the number of guys they've had had have over 250 yards receiving in the last decade, I'm sure is crazy. Uh, at K-State, it's it's a much different number. How about this? Deuce Vaughn and, you know, God forbid we actually talk about Deuce. We barely talked about him at all here on this pod. My apologies, Deuce. Uh, legitimate Heisman contender this year, depending on how K-State is able to use him and utilize him. But Cole has the over-under at 1,600 rushing yards for Deuce after – he went for 1404 last year, six yards per rush and 18 touchdowns. So let's start with this the over under at 1600 rushing yards. I'm going to make you go first on this one, DY. I'm going to go under. That's another 200 rushing yards. I think the quarterback's going to run the ball pretty well. I think Adrian will have more rushing yards than Skyler. So that's another part to consider. I, I think they might lean on the passing game more than the running game in general. Um, so there's a little change in that. That's 200 rushing yards more that I don't know that'll be available to him. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to perform less. I just don't know if that's going to be available to him. So I'll say under 1600. Is there anything more boring than betting unders, you guys, and your boring under picks? I'm taking the over again. Wow. Uh, again, increased snap count and not a lot of options at the backup position that are proven. I think they were going to rely on Deuce even more. Um, so I'm going to take the over and, uh, if he gets over 1,600 rushing yards, guys, there's a very good chance that he is a finalist in, in New York City for the Doak Walker and the Heisman, potentially. There might be an increased snap account, but I think I would be a little worried if there was an increased carry amount for Deuce. Yeah, some of it could be, too, that they're using it more in the passing game if they're going to throw it yeah. more. So that, that could take away from some of the rushing yards. Now, in Cole's defense, I will say I made basically that exact same argument last year in doing a segment like this on the old radio show. And shout out to my guy, Mitch Fortner. He was the one that was like, what are you talking about? Like slam the over. Of course he's going to be over. And I looked like an idiot because he was way over last year with the 1400 yards. So my history is not very good uh, as far as that goes. Uh, let's see. Adrian Martinez turnovers. I think this is the, the appropriate one here to end on because if you're taking one thing away from the pod, I, I think it would be that offensively, the the biggest and most telling stat of the season would be Adrian Martinez turnovers. Will he be able to protect the football? And that will indicate how successful of a season K-State is going to have. He's got 49 turnovers in his career, 30 picks, 19 fumbles lost. So Cole sets the over under at 10 and a half turnovers for Adrian Martinez this year. This is where I'll be the optimist, Cole. I've been bullish on Adrian since I found out about this which I'll admit in the beginning was just excitement that it was not going to be Will Howard and that it would be somebody else. But now I've legitimately bought into that storyline. I absolutely believe it. I think the infrastructure is here for K-State to make him a lot better and stay healthier. Uh, I will take the under there and say it'll be more like 
eight, nine, maybe 10 turnovers for Adrian Martinez this year. This is where I'm a fan of taking the under, John. I'm taking the under on this one. Uh, I think he's going to under a new look offense. Cool, you're coming across kind of a homer, man. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah this um, is Homer Cole episode. Uh, uh, well, Homer Cole will be gone after the first loss if that occurs. You know how I am. Uh, Over-the-top emotional, getting caught up in it. But, no, I, I am going to take the under. Um, I, I think under outside the shadow of Nebraska and their fanatical fans, fresh start. I think Adrian Martinez is going to take care of the football much better. And again, we talked about surrounding cast. Uh, I like him to be able to do that. And, and the one thing I'll say, guys, about Adrian, if you look at his numbers last year, he averaged 9.4 yards per pass attempt. Did you know that was seventh in the country tied with C.J. Stroud? Skylar Thompson was 9.1 yards per pass attempt, which was 20th in the country. Adrian Martinez is 9, 9.4 yards per pass attempt last year would rank third best in K-State history dating back to 1993, the Chad May era. I went back through 93. Chad May never eclipsed that mark. But Michael Bishop, 10.4 in 1998 yards per pass. And then Jake Waters, I know John's biggest biggest fan. I know he's a huge fan of the Jake Waters fan club. Jake Waters, 9.5 yards per pass in 2013. The 9.4 would be the third highest. Skylar Thompson had 9.8 in 2020, but that was two and a half games. So I'm kind of throwing that out, guys. Whoops. It was, sorry, <laughs> long wind, long-winded cold there. Eight and a half or nine and a half? What was the under? Over ten and a half. Sorry, and a half. I went on a diatribe. Yeah, ten and a half. What did Skylar have last year? So the, it's, head, you know? yeah, Skylar had uh, five interceptions last year. I don't recall on the fumbles, D.Y., but he's Skylar over the last um, – Two and a half seasons, two plus seasons. He had nine interceptions total. I can't recall the fumbles, but they, they've really emphasized taking care of the football at Kansas State under Chris Kleiman. So that's another reason. I, it's an important factor for them. Ten and a half is probably the perfect total. I'll go under just because it means good things for the Kansas right. State football season. No real science behind it. I'm just because that means good things for the Wildcats this year. That's right. Your number one homer pod right here, three mod, just three <laughs> homers. You just change the name of the pod, three homers. <laughs> uh, appreciate Holiday Distillery and Charlie Hustle, as always, for uh, presenting the pod to you. Thanks to Tucker Franklin for the work behind the scenes, as always. It's going to wrap it up for us. We'll have a defensive uh, preview pod coming up and uh, much more as we get you ready for K-State football just around the corner. Spread the word on social media, share the pod, and uh, thanks for listening as always. We'll talk to you soon on 3 Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.